All right, well, a little review. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 15, if you want to turn there. 2 Samuel 15. Just a little review. We're studying the, the episode in David's life where Absalom attempts to uh, overthrow his reign. It's a revolution, a coup d'etat. And we're studying this revolution, Absalom's revolution, in order to better understand the sin of revolution um, in our own hearts, um, which, of course, it's certainly there, but also to understand it in the life of our country and in your family and in the church as well so that you don't participate in it and you don't get swept up in it. Make sense? The sin of revolution, identifying it and avoiding it and repenting of it where necessary. And, um, <clears throat> and, and in, in other words, we want to Absalom-proof our life. That's the goal for this whole series, that you would be Absalom-proofed because Absalom's um, lead many people astray into uh, bad decisions and into sinful decisions and even into apostasy. And so, all right, the musicians are back. They've returned. Is everyone else coming, Marley? All right. Thank you for being eager to attend to the Word of God. Um, we'll pray for the others that are coming in slowly and later. Marley didn't think my joke was funny. All right. <laughs> All right, well, well, we will review. Let's do 2 Samuel 15, starting in verse 1. A little review. We left off last week looking at the red flags of revolution, and we're going to look at that look at that again because we kind of rushed through it, and this is something that is truly worthy of meditating on. And um, just make sure that you don't find these red flags in your life or in the life of those people that you really, really want to like you. All right, 2 Samuel 15, verse 1. And you have to, after I'm done reading it, you're going to tell me all the red flags of revolution. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there, uh, there is no man designated by that king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in this land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, every single one of you, even the little guy. And I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. All right. What do you think? What do you think? Red flags of revolution. I'll start. I'll start. He's got, yeah, he's got uh, cheerleaders that he pays. That's right. He buys all of his friends. That's weird. Um, I think the thing that uh, I noticed that jumps out, out at me is if we, were, if we were just watching this situation in real life, we might not be aware of what's going on at all. You know, we know what's going on because we know the whole story. And, and God has given us the motives of Absalom's heart. And we know what Absalom was like before. And we know what Absalom is like afterward, and we know how God eventually hangs him in a tree by his religious hair. So we know the whole story. We have insight because God gives us to it, gives that to us. But if we were just simple people coming to town, 
with a, a concern or a criticism or a need for justice, would we be able to recognize um, the revolution and the uh, inevitable civil war that is going to emerge from this seemingly loving, caring, you know, servant's heart right here? I mean, he, it seems like someone who really cares for the people. He loves the people. If you were to come into town, he would, he would say, oh, oh, mm, if only the king had appointed someone for that. But, you know, um, I'll try to talk to him, but he's probably really busy right now um, with his rich friends. And, um, and honestly, you know, if I, were, if I were king, you know, I would never want something like that. But, you know, but if I were king, God forbid, whew, but there would be justice in this land. Yeah. And, and you're like, wow, you see, it's so very subtle, so very crafty. If anyone were to say, you know, I'm not so sure about that guy. Hey, 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 let's, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, let's not, let's not speak negative about people. It would be just very hard to deal with this. I think most people would think this is a good guy, right? And I mean, he really goes out of his way to seem like a good guy. You know, he's, he's bowing his, his head. He's so humble, and he's, he's offering kisses to these peasants that come in. And he has the long religious hair. Remember, we talked about that last week. Wow. I mean, it's just, he's a snake in the grass, though. You know, that's what the devil is. The devil is sneaky. He is an angel of light. He doesn't come to us with, um, with a pitchfork and horns. He comes to us bowing and lowly and 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 offering us a solution to all of our problems, if only we would worship him, if only we would make him king, right? Can you see any other signs? Anything else? What's he want? What's he driven by? I'm sorry? Yes, greed for, for, for power, though, right? Greed for praise and power. He, for gain, he really is driven, though. He's not lazy. He wakes up early in the morning. He works hard. He is motivated. He's motivated. He wants, he wants to be king. That's right. Anything else? Yeah, he is clearly filled with pride, having this uh, PR firm singing his praises everywhere he goes. I'm sorry? Yeah, he, he is, his agenda is the, is the removal of David, yeah, the decreasing of David. He, and it, for, for people who have the Absalom spirit, they can't imagine there being enough to go around. Like, for you to win is for them to lose. For them, the, the pie is a, is a closed uh, system, and whatever you have, they don't get to have. They can't imagine that God has enough grace for all of us and that we all have unique roles. That's good. Anything? Right, yes, he goes to the gate, and he becomes the complaint department for the kingdom. He, he is looking, he's on the hunt, he's trolling for hurts. Right? He's, his ears are attuned to anyone who might have a beef, or who might have a concern, who might have been you know, mistreated, and he goes to them. And he opens his heart to them, and he offers solutions. Right? Oh, if if only you know, wow! If only I were king, you know, this would be solved. You know, so if the thing is, real servant leaders, people who really do love like Jesus loves, if they come into contact with a hurt, 
or an offense or an injustice, um, what, do they, what do they do with that hurt? What do they want to do with it? You come into contact with a hurt, and you're a Christian, and you want to do the right thing. You, I'm sorry, what? You, yeah, you might remind them of j- that Jesus is the solution. What else? You might encourage them, right? You might actually try to help them with the, with the problem. You see, he's not bringing the people to someone who can help, which would be David. David is completely clueless as to the problem at all. He makes sure that David doesn't know the concern and, and he nurses the concern, and he exploits the concern. Did God really say? It's exactly, he is the devil. He's Judas, he's Satan, he is a traitor. That's exactly right. But the, for him, the hurts and the concerns and the criticisms and the injustices and the weaknesses of the kingdom are not callings for him to serve and to meet needs. They are opportunities for him to club David. You see what I mean? They're, it's not what we might think of as uh, God saying, hey, there's a need in the kingdom. Let's step up. Let's pull together. No, it's, it's the devil saying, if you were in charge, there wouldn't be this problem. Use this criticism as a tool to usurp authority. Now, who uses sins and weaknesses not to solve, not to add grace to, but uses them to accuse and to condemn and to dethrone. Politicians, <laughs> Politicians the devil, the devil. That's very good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he's looking to capitalize on hurts and offenses. That's right. And he positions himself to be in a place where he can get all of them, where he can get all of them. He's making calls, right? He, he's hobnobbing. He's concerned. But those are, he's, he's basically gathering ammo in his war against David's authority and God's authority. Good. All right. <laughs> this, um, this brings us to a good application. I got a couple of applications here. Um, if you're in the office, who here works in an office with a, with a bunch of employees? Aaron does. How many people are in the office? Six to ten, and they're part-time workers and, you know, and spouses of workers. Right? You got a little bit of a community there. Ben, you've got a f- how many people in your community? Your office, a dozen or so. Anybody else? Pastor Scott and I have, there's quite a few people wandering around here. Um, yeah, anybody else? Brody, do you have a, do you have a, like a community at your work, or do you don't work alone all the time, do you? Just you and one other guy. Okay, interesting. So, but if, if you're in a situation like that, and a hurt is communicated, all right, or an offense, or a criticism, or a concern, you have, to, you have to be wise enough to realize, okay, first of all, this concern that the person is communicating is, it is implicitly condemning the boss. So a, a, a concern or a criticism that, it, that someone wants to serve and wants to solve is usually spoken of in a covenantal way, in a communal way, like 
we this or I this. I wish we could get better. I'm going to be doing these things. But uh, when a criticism or a concern is spoken of in a condemning, accusatory, satanic way that's uh, being used as a weapon of revolution, it's always, and you can tell from the conversation, it's always a weapon that runs up the hierarchy. You understand what I mean? It's a weapon that runs up the hierarchy. And so if, if Brody, if you're riding along in the truck and the guy's like, man, you know, I, you know, I, th- I think um, I'd like to be making more money. I wish I could make more money. You know, and I'm, so that's why I've been showing up for work on time, and I've been uh, you know, trying to be uh, submissive at work and, and, and dressing sharp and looking good and, and making sure I'm good with the customers because you know, i got a family to feed. I want to make more money. Okay, well, that's good, right? But if he's like, you know what, I would love to make more money, but you know, that, you know, that boss, I, he, he, it's, like, it's like, man, I got, he got a new truck the other day. It's like every time I turn around, he's got a new truck, right? You know, I wonder what the process around here for, you know, figuring out pace, you know, salaries is. That, you see, that comment right there is basically human. No, but, like, how many of us have heard comments like that? It's just ubiquitous. It's like just the air we breathe. And none of us would normally think anything of that at all. We would just laugh it off, yeah, whatever. But it is, that is the Absalom spirit. That is the Absalom spirit. It's, it's using criticism and hurts as a tool of usurpation and of revolution. See what I mean? <coughs> and it reveals, it reveals a heart that doesn't trust God or trust um, God's um, plan for life. It, it doesn't, it doesn't um, love. It doesn't submit. It's not loyal. And loyalty is, is one of the long-lost virtues of the Christian faith. I mean, what is covenantal love? The best word for it in English is loyalty. It's loyalty. I mean, I, you know your, your grandparents, my grandparents, their approach to supporting other people and standing up for people, um, it really was different. I, it, it really was different. There, there were certain people in my grandfather's life that you could not ever say anything about in front of him. And you, and you honestly, you might be surprised. You, and you might say something about a neighbor and find yourself getting, like, strongly rebuked. There's just a much more of a loyal spirit. But these days, uh, people really just, it's all about the self. They, they lack covenantal loyalty. And, uh, and not only do we lack covenantal loyalty, we lack the courage to, to push back to someone like that and say, hey, you shouldn't do that. Like, you, sh- you know, don't. Don't think that way and act that way. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to make you bitter. It's going to poison you. Eventually, you're going to, the boss is going to sense it, and he's going to marginalize you and fire you, and it's the opposite is going to happen to you. Like setting traps is not how to, to gain a success in this world. And so, and, and so to have the courage to, to help people not do that, and, but also have the wisdom to be able to notice it. But it's just so common. It really is so common, Right? I, th- I really think it's more common than we realize. So, so mind your own business is a good policy, right? It's a good policy. Mind your own business, right? And if, if there is a need and a criticism, that might be a calling for you to help, uh, but it's not a club or a, a, a two-by-four that you should use against the people that God has put over you. Amen? All right, Brother Henry. <laughs> yes, sir. Right. 
they're taught rather to uh, to rise up in revolution against the man, um, be- because uh, rebellion is is how to get ahead. Burn down the uh, the sheriff's station. You know that's how we can rise up and uh, and take our stand. But that's that is the revolutionary spirit. Our whole political system is absorbed in the revolutionary spirit, and um, Marxism is uh, is the revolutionary spirit. And yes, in the child in the children's home and and moms and dad, be careful when the when the kid. Um, talks to you about the other spouse don't let them do that to you like don't let them uh, put a wedge between the two the husband and the wife you understand what I mean the kid doesn't even necessarily realize what they're doing (coughs) but what they're doing is going to be really bad for them if they do that (coughs) you understand what I mean mom you know dad's this and dad's that you know you always say yes and dad always says no you know yeah you know I'm the nice one huh Okay, Absalom. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Your middle name's not Absalom, right? <coughs> I do always say yes. So. <coughs> All right. Um, look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, walking not at all, Working not at all, but are busybodies, right? Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, and with quietness they that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So what is it that we should do? We should help one another who who are um, they don't have enough uh, to do, and instead they spend their times worrying about other people's problems and meddling in people's problems. A busybody, a meddler, a, a muckrake. A strife stirrer, that person has to be rebuked and told to uh, uh, work in quietness, live a quiet life. That doesn't mean um, not talking. It means not stirring stuff up, like a quiet, calm lake, right? That's how you want your life to be, peaceful and tranquil in a quiet, calm lake. Sure, there's going to be things that emerge, and there has to be fights and battles. But if you're bored, don't spend your time making making up problems for everyone to fight about right let things be calm live a quiet life don't spend your time stirring stuff up by wondering oh who said what he said she said this and that oh now i'm offended right stay off that drama that's right and uh, if you find yourself always positioning yourself in the gate to hear other people's concerns as their little savior repent of your messianic complex Um, you can't fix people and, uh, and realize that what you're trying to do is uh, satanic. And, uh, and instead, um, help that person to see what they're actually doing, which is demeaning and busting the people that are over them, their husband or their boss or their pastors or their friends, and help them to actually deal with their problems correctly. Amen? Now, why doesn't David just, you know, deal with the criticisms? Right? Hey, you know. We can all learn from our critics, right? Even if their motives are bad, we can still learn something from them. Why doesn't David just deal with the problems? Well, one, he doesn't know about the problems. Absalom is making sure that David's the last to know. Secondly, uh, in an environment like this, Absaloms are going to turn uh, molehills into mountains because it serves their particular purposes. What he needs is for every concern to be blown up to level 10 so that he can, have, uh, he can be justified even more in pushing back against David's authority. 
And, and anyone who's been in this particular position before, you know by experience, if David were to deal with one particular concern, I promise you, the, the situation wouldn't stop there. It's like whack-a-mole. Do y'all remember that game, whack-a-mole, in the arcades? You hit that, that mole, pump, another one pops up. I promise you, as soon as David deals with one problem, poof, oh, but it's how David did it, you know, it's how he did it. You know, did he go through the proper pathways? Did, was his tone proper? You know, did the words that he used, was that in the heart? I mean, I might want to have gone about it a different way. And then there's this other problem right here, concern, concern. Because the point is not to get better. The point is to um, condemn David and to demonize his authority. And so criticisms like that should not be processed as though they are genuine good faith criticisms. They're not genuine good faith criticisms. They are uh, ploys. They're ploys. And you know what you do with ploys, right? And, and uh, agendas and secret character assassination attempts. You don't follow up, right? You, you mark that person after you've rebuked them twice. You mark that person and then you avoid them. All right, so let's uh, consider the flip side. What is, it, what is it that Absalom is attempting to do to David? All right, so we've seen his, his techniques, but how, how, is he, what, how does David look in all of this to the people? How does David look to all the, to all the people? I mean, they don't really know David personally, so, but how does he look to them? What's the optics? Disconnected, uh, weak maybe, yeah? Yeah, indifferent, you know, uncaring probably, you know, uncaring, right? David looks a certain way, and, and you see, that is the actual point. That is the point of all of this. Um, he's not doing it to serve the people. He's doing it for his own promotion, but for, in order for him to be promoted, David must be demoted, as Pastor Scott was has saying earlier. And the way this is being done is not by a physical assault, or a full-on public assault, the way he is positioning himself for promotion is to deconstruct David's influence and reputation. You see what he's doing? He's, he has got a situation where he has got David looking as though he doesn't care, right? He's, he's not able to deal with the problems. He doesn't want to deal with the problems. And the reason for all of this is Absalom is attempting to assassinate his character, to assassinate his character, not a full-on assault. He knows he would lose, right? You know, in battle, you, know, you don't go and fight a battle that you know you're going to lose, right? You don't just fire randomly. You make sure you have the high ground and you have the ammo, and then you don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes, right? So Absalom knows he can't usurp the throne with a full-on public um, confrontation, he knows that wouldn't work. The people wouldn't stand for an open revolution, and Absalom doesn't have a just cause, right? He's, he is living in sin, so he has to go about it in a subtle way, uh, guerrilla warfare, like, you know, behind trees and sniping from a distance, surprise attacks, and the way that um, emotional terrorists and ab- people possessed with the Absalom spirit go about this is they use character assassination, character assassination and this is something that has been alive and well since the the third or fourth day of creation when the devil what was the first thing he did with with satan (laughs) character assassination not a full-on rebellion not a full-on revolution if if the devil would have said to eve hey look i'm trying to overthrow 
God and run this place. Um, I'm better than him. Eve would have been like, hey, hey, no, we're not doing that. You know, that's too far. But the gullibility and the naivete, which is what this class is intended to do to help us not be that way, because um, it's not of Christian virtue, the gullibility and the naivete um, led her to start hearing the, the, the criticisms, the concerns and the criticisms, which were really just attempts at assassinating God's character. And once his character had been uh, deconstructed, then the devil made his move. See how that works? And you can think about this is so um, prevalent in the church. The church is, you know, disintegrating in the West so badly. And, um, and one, of the, one of the signs of the disintegration is the constant character assassinations of Christians and especially Christian leaders. It's very, very much of a problem. And I couldn't even begin. We wouldn't have enough time to share with you the lies that have been told just about me. And I only, I only know about 35 people, really. But, I mean, the lies that are spread all over this town about me are laughable. They're laughable. And Jesus says to, you know, throw a party and jump for joy. You know, go have, a, go have, have fun with your friends when you hear these sorts of things. So whatever. But, but it's, it, is, it is a prevalent and wicked sin in the church. Character assassination. I mean, John Calvin, have you ever heard of a theologian more criticized and condemned than John Calvin. I mean, is, is there anyone more condemned than him? Yeah. Doug Wilson? No, he, I don't think he's, he's risen to Calvin's level. He hadn't burned anyone at the stake, supposedly. Huh? Martin Luther? Yeah. John Calvin was uh, one of the greatest theologians, a godly Christian man who led a church in Geneva that was the refuge for thousands of persecuted Christians. They came from all over Europe, and they were given refuge. He, he wrote books that laid the foundation for the West, and yet uh, nine out of ten Christians in this town would condemn him and condemn anyone who says his name. Why, how can it be so upside down? Is everyone uh, satanic accusers? No, most of them are dupes. Most of them are gullible eaves that have heard people's accusations and condemnations of a great man, a god of a godly man, right? Most people, I can remember a, a, a meeting that I had once. The lady screamed at me from the back, "Are you a Calvinist?" And 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 I could tell that that was a negative. Like she had already insinuated that if I say yes the stones should immediately fly forward right and uh, I said I'm not you have to explain to me what you meant and uh, in my in my mind I thought I do not play the clavinova but I didn't say that though I didn't say that I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt and honestly I probably shouldn't it's like it was a total his character was assassinated and I could sense the question my character is about to be assassinated as soon as I say I love John Calvin, and when I see him in heaven, I'm going to say thank you to him. And if you want to, you want to bash him, you should repent. You should repent, and especially if you've never even read one book by him. All right, 
Martin Luther, the same thing. You bring up Martin Luther's name, and people are like, he's a racist. He, he's an anti-Semite. He hates Jews. That, that is not true. People don't know the actual context of the situation. They don't know what was going on in history. They, 99% of people have never read a book by Martin Luther. And, they, and they, it's not that they're satanic and that they're Absalom and they're trying to overthrow people necessarily. It's that they're the gullible people who have just heard negative campaigns and slights and condemnations. The same thing is true. Someone brought up Doug Wilson. He is so maligned, and, and char- his character is assassinated by people who live 2,000 miles away from him, have never spoken to him or seen him in person, have never read any of his books, but they just know, oh, he's a, he's a misogynist, he's a racist. Oh, and did you know there's a pastor in this town that I think he read a couple of his books once. He's bad, too. He's bad, too. Yeah. And, and I, I, listen, I, character assassination is a sin. It is a sin of revolution. It is the Absalom spirit. And, and I don't, I, look, if everyone else wants to be guilty of that, hopefully we won't be guilty of that. Um, and, and hopefully we won't be gullible dupes for that, right? Of course, we're not sycophants for Calvin or Luther or uh, Doug Wilson. We're not sycophants. But Christians shouldn't be haters, Right? Christians shouldn't be haters. We should judge people by their fruits, not the imagined concerns that we think might emerge some point in the future. All right? That's not how to judge as a Christian. You judge fruits, not the imagined fruits that someone thinks might appear some point in the future. That's another form of judgmentalism. That's judgmentalism. Reputation is a valuable thing. And so we are called to protect our brothers and sisters reputations amen we're called to avoid slanderers and uh, character assassins in particular we are to mark them and avoid them after two uh, warnings paul says Um, beware the blunt instrument of vague concerns y'all know what a blunt instrument is you know christians should stab each other not club each other it's very important there should, if you want to um, rebuke a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord, you should have a specific pointed point with a Bible verse or an actually defined words that you say to them. You understand what I mean? Not a bludgeon giant rubber bat that you just, you know, push them into the ground with. Right? We should not um, judge one another, and we certainly should not assassinate the characters of other Christians like Absalom is doing with bludgeoning of vague, I'm concerned. <laughs> you see what that means? If I am, am talking to Miss Paula and, and uh, I notice something that I think is a little troubling to me and um, it makes me feel a certain way, like, I, there's certain things I like. I like the picnic tables to be straight. Um, and if I, if I notice they're a little off, uh, that's going to cause me a little bit of uh, systemic anxiety. I'm like, what's going on around here? Um, and, uh, and, I, and I say to Miss Paula, you know, you know, I just, you know, I have some concerns about what's going on around here. Now, what's, gonna, what's she going to do? Oh, well, that seems really bad coming from me, right? 
Well, she didn't have concerns when she woke up this morning, but now she has concerns. She's like, whoa, you know, it's probably the way that so-and-so has been talking lately. She doesn't, I mean, I know it's just concerns. You know, and whatever is in her mind, she can now file that all together in the same compartment. And I'm just like, you know what? I just, you know, I just hope I'm going to be able to keep coming here and working here. But if we don't, if, if we don't deal with these, these things, yeah. You know, well, what do you, what do you mean, Pastor Brandon? Well, you know, like there's just, you know, there's some stuff like the table. You know, have you seen the tables lately? They're a little off. And I, you can see how I'm, I am with a vague concern. Um, I am diminishing and bludgeoning. And the goal is very often to take away the influence from the person who decided to turn those tables crooked. I want to take the influence from that person with my vague concerns so that thi- the tables can be back straight again. This is, if, if you want to re- read what I'm reading and in, in preparing for all these things, read the book. It's called Character Assassination. It is a fantastic book. It's written by an African missionary, and he tells the story of how Christians in the African church played these games for so long and literally got people killed, got people imprisoned, and got people and their families killed through that sort of behavior. It's a, it's a very wise book, and it really can, it really can help you if, you if you want to read it. Um, Jesus said to not judge people, not to make up your mind about people, not to condemn people by vague concerns. It's not fair. It's not fair, but to judge them by their fruit. That's right. So if you want to actually help a brother out, um, say the thing. Say what it is. Like, say the charge. And then, and then and give the examples of it, maybe. And then allow that person uh, the, the dignity to agree or disagree. And if, you f- if they disagree and you feel like, you know, no, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with, then get a mediator. And don't, and don't share vague concerns and have emotional tantrums and, and make threats that you're going to leave the church and vague things like that. Instead, get a Bible verses out and make a, make a, a, a rational argument with Bible verses so you can have a discussion like an adult Christian so that you can actually help one another. You see what I mean? All right. Look for leaders, by the way. This is another application of our text. Look for leaders that merit honor and position. Avoid the wannabe leaders who profit by the diminishing of others. If if there is someone who wants to be a leader and their approach at gaining leadership is the diminishing of other leaders, that is the Absalom spirit, and, and it has to be rejected. What you want, there's a, you see, like we were saying uh, earlier in the class, um, the Absalom spirit thinks there's only so, much, so many pieces of the pie. <coughs> they think for them to be able to use their gifts or exercise authority, other people's has to be diminished. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is ever infinitely expanding. Amen? <coughs> there's plenty of slots. And so, but avoid people that are engaged in um, uh, promotion by means of demotion. All right, one last point before we're done. Let's look at verse 5. I think this is the biggest lesson. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. You know, he's very uh, approachable. He's a people person. People love him. You know, he, he gives the overt signs of love and affection. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king 
for judgment. They're coming to the king for judgment. He's uh, schmoozing them and flattering them. And look what the technique is. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, right? Um, isn't it interesting that it says he stole hearts? He stole a heart. If you can steal a heart, what does that mean? That implies what? I'm sorry? That, it, that someone else rightfully owned the heart. That's exactly right. And when did David, why does David rightfully own the hearts of the people? Because he's appointed by God. And, and, that, and God had gifted David. He, David didn't have the hearts of the people before Goliath. Right? But God gifted David the hearts of the people when he fought Goliath. And uh, David wasn't perfect. David didn't uh, merit these things, but God made him the king. And so your heart belongs to your king, right? Um, your wives, your heart belongs to your husband. Husbands, your heart belongs to your wife. If you're in a covenantal organization, a covenantal community, your heart is owned by the others in that covenantal community. What does Paul say? That we owe, we owe no one any money, right? Meaning pay your debts. Um, but owe them love. He says, and it's in, it's in 2 Corinthians, no, it's in Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. What does that mean? It means you owe love to other people in your church. You, they have your heart. And, um, and beware of anyone who is, and you got to be wise to this, like Eve wasn't. Beware of people who are putting a wedge with vague concerns, with uh, unfair judgments, jumping to conclusions, suspicions, bitterness, anything, when they use those things to put a wedge between your heart and those people that own your heart, beware of that person. That is the Absalom spirit, alive and well in the church. Alive and well. Look at, and look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. This was a major problem in Paul's day. Half of Paul's letters are Paul basically saying, what did I do wrong? Like, you know, why, I, I've, I've, are you mad at me for preaching the good news to you? Like, what's going on here? And it's because he has Absaloms running a game on him when he's out of town, right? Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart's wide open. You were not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. So you see what he's saying? In return, I speak as, as to children, widen your hearts also. He's trying to appeal to them. Hey, I, your hearts are mine and my heart is yours. And now all of a sudden, and it's because the super apostles, apostles had been coming in and driving a wedge between the churches and Paul for obvious reasons. Beware of uh, wedgers, we can, we can call that. And, uh, and beware of any uh, effects of the wedge in your own heart. So let me just real quick, a few reminders. Remember the two to three witness rule, right? What's the two or three witness rule? It, it doesn't say don't accuse someone without two or three witnesses. It says don't receive an accusation without two or three witnesses. Only, and I can honestly, the Absalom spirit goes around making accusations without other witnesses, that's what the Absalom spirit does. And we do that, and we do that all the time. Don't do that. Don't do that to one another. Don't do that to people, right? Um, if there aren't two to three witnesses, if you're not ready to, to take this all the way, right, if you just want to do an offhand comment like that and, and hurt some, put a wedge between someone else and someone else's heart, 
Um, don't do that. Let's not do that, right? Remember the two to three rule? Don't nurse any, bi- any bitterness. If someone has been able to plant bitterness inside your heart, or if you're nursing some bitterness, um, the devil, I'm telling you, the devil is going to grab hold of that, and he's going to pull you right out of this church. I've seen it so many times. I'm speaking very frankly with you, but if that bitterness grows, he's going to snatch you up by your back and, and walk you out of here like a suitcase, Right? You have, you have got to, you have got to, you sense the bitterness, you need to be like, okay, I know nothing now. I know nothing now. I am bitter. I'm about to be uh, sifted like wheat, all right? Please, everybody else help me. I know nothing now. I know nothing now. I'm bitter. You've got to make sure that that is dealt with. And, And don't forget the one side of the story principle. Every story actually has about 32 million sides to it. Um... (laughs) And what does Proverbs say? It says the, that a wise man uh, waits till he hears the other sides of the story before he makes up his mind. But you know who's even wiser than that wise man? The wise man who says, who made me judge? Who made me judge in, in Israel? Why are you telling me this? What ploy are you running on me to bring that to me? I'm not Absalom sitting at the gate ready, ready to capitalize on everyone's hurts. That's not what I'm doing. Let's bring that to the right people. That takes courage, though, doesn't it? Man, and, uh, and don't let vague concerns or ambiguous accusations get under your skin, right? Don't, don't let that get under your skin. You know, shake it off, right? Shake it off. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and also, um, when your friends do that to each other and to you, um, don't freak out over that either, all right? Your friends are in, in the church to the leadership are going to, to sin against each other. You're going to say something like, oh, I wish this or that, or, you know, what are they thinking? You're, that's going to happen. And the, and the other person in the conversation, you don't, don't blow it up. Don't be like, okay, I'm calling Pastor Brandon. We got an Absalom on our hands, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hold on, okay? Like, um, we all have the Absalom spirit in our heart, but what you can say is like, you, you can say enough to gently be like, let's not keep going down that path. You know what I mean? And, um, and, you know, be joyful about it. You know, the first rebuke can be calm and joyful and happy, right? Um, but if they keep doing it for, the, for their own good, you've got to point out, hey, I think you've got a handle on your back. Um, we've got we to deal with this, right? All right, and, 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 uh, and uh, don't miss the difference between constructive criticism and, and convenient criticism. Right? It's two different things. That's what Absalom was doing. Absalom was engaged in convenient criticisms because he was trying to um, demean David's authority, right? And then finally, last but not, not least, remember that the standard with which you judge, you will be judged. The standard with which you judge, that's the one that will be used against you. So that means you want to take it easy, right? Be merciful. Be merciful. Awesome. All right, y'all have a great Lord's Day.